as the director of the Association of Marian Helpers, I have uh, 72 employees over <clears throat> at the association here on the property of, of the National Shrine. And every Monday morning we have a production meeting and one of the things my staff always laughs at me the most, and they love it now that we're doing 9 a.m. masses because it forces our meeting to be only 45 minutes. And the reason is, is they, Father, don't go off on a tangent. Don't go off on any more tangents because as I think of one thing, I address this, and as I address this, I think of this. This is the only place in the New Testament that the writers go off on a tangent. Here he's talking about Jairus and his um, uh, child, uh, the little girl, and then all of a sudden he's walking, Jesus is walking to the house, and all of a sudden this whole other story breaks out. And then we go back to the story of Jairus. It seems like this tangent, but it's really importantly placed. And its connection is very effective. Now let's look at what our message is. Now, only a miracle, there's two stories here, and both require a miracle. Why? Because one is dead, and the other one has tried everything to stop her bleeding gone to every doctor, every physician for 12 years, nothing can work. So you got two needs of a miracle. One is dead and one cannot be cured. Now, God usually works in our lives in very unspectacular ways. The fact that you got up is a miracle, but to you is unspectacular. The fact that you went to bed last night, woke back up, had the ability to eat, sleep, breathe, taste, hear, see, smell, seems unspectacular to you, but is really spectacular. All right, so here's the thing. God usually doesn't work these spectacular miracles, even though those are. He usually just sees us through the day, which in itself is amazing. But sometimes, if our salvation is at stake, he does work a miracle. Now, every day, right here, is the greatest of all miracles. The miracle of a normal piece of bread and a drop of wine becomes the body and blood of Christ is a miracle. Every day. And, <clears throat> like this woman, we physically touch Jesus. Right? All she wanted to do was physically touch him. And what we do in Holy Communion is we physically touch Jesus, just like this woman did. And it is a miracle. We are healed through the Eucharist. Now, this woman was bleeding, meaning everything she touched was unclean. That's why she only wanted to touch his garment. You know, when I first started coming back to the faith, somebody said to me, uh, Chris, you want to go to the hem of the garment? tonight. I'm like, the what of the what? Yeah, the hem of the garment. It's a healing service. And I was like, what is that? It's based on this, that just this woman just touches, not Jesus himself, because she was unclean. She didn't want to touch himself. She just wanted to touch the hem of his garment. So in humility, she wasn't worthy to even touch him. Now comes Jesus. And not only does he not get unclean, he touches her and makes her clean. He flips the law on its head. 
Jesus is here effectively, basically putting an end to the Levitical laws in the way that we know them. The ritual of the cleanliness and what defiles a person. Now, <clears throat> this is the new identity of Israel. Not the law of Leviticus, but Jesus Christ in his church through the healing of sacraments. I told you all before, if I do nothing else in my entire life, but I die, it is to teach you the importance of the sacraments. The sacraments are what make our faith special. They're not just symbols. They are actual grace that you only get here in the church. But Father, I don't need the church. Yes, you do. I do. We all do. And this is what we are talking about. Brother Jeff, who's one of the good Catholics buried in the back here that you can't see. Yesterday we were talking and he was with Brother Mark actually on this conference over the last month. And he was saying the leader of this conference was pointing out that by the very fact of our baptism, by the very essence of our baptism, we have the power to heal the sick, cast out demons, and raise the dead. You're probably like, huh? Yeah, this is Matthew 10:8. You will heal the sick, cast out demons, and raise the dead. By virtue of what? Your baptism, a sacrament of this church. Now, Brother Jeff said that this instructor pointed out that the key to that, we'll say, well, Father, I can't raise the dead. I've, I've never even healed the sick. Brother Jeff was pointing out that this guy made the point that you have to get out of the way. You have to realize that it isn't you who is healing the sick. It's God. And as soon as we at all get in the way, that's why some preachers, as soon as they start thinking it is them who are doing the healing, they won't heal. We have to get out of the way and let God just use us as broken tools. You know, the Old Testament shows this. In the Old Testament, God uses men to raise the dead. You say, well, wait a minute, Father, only Jesus rose the dead. Really? Well, let's look at this. The prophet Elijah, he revived the son of the widow of Sarepta by crying out to the Lord in 1 Kings 17.21. Then Elisha raised the son of the Shumanite, which is 2 Kings 4.33. And even our founder, St. Stanislaus Papchinsky, raised a girl from the dead by virtue of your baptism, which now comes to us through the sacraments of the church. Remember, the sacraments aren't just symbols. They do something. They're actual grace. A sacrament, it's an efficacious sign, meaning it does something of God's grace instituted by Christ, entrusted to the church by which divine life is instilled in us. Please learn and take advantage in a good way of the sacraments. 
This is grace. Jesus, the whole Bible is based on one thing. The whole diary of St. Faustina is built on one thing, trust. What is trust? Trust is accepting the help that someone offers you. If I trust you and you offer to help me get somewhere or do something or build a house or fix a car, if I trust you, I will accept the help you offer me. Jesus said, you all want to get to heaven, you need grace. I want to get to heaven, I need grace. Grace is the only way. But Jesus told St. Faustina, trust is the vessel by which all grace is received. So if you want to get to heaven, I want to get to heaven, we need grace. But in order to have grace, we need trust as that vessel. Trust is the vessel by which all grace is received. And what is trust? Trust is accepting the help someone offers you. And what is the help God is offering us? The sacraments of the church. This is why we're here. This is our whole faith. So all these raising from the dead, Peter restored the life of the woman at Joppa named Tabitha. This is Acts 9, 36. Paul in Troas, he brought uh, Eutychus back to life after he fell from that high window. That's Acts 20, verse 7. You see, there is all kinds of examples of raising from the dead, and you, by power of your baptism, can do that. Even if it's not physically from the dead, you can raise spiritually from the dead your loved ones, your children, your husband, wife, yourself by living the example of Christ and accepting the help he gives you in the sacraments. As head of the synagogue, here's what's really interesting. As head of the synagogue, this guy who came to Jesus, Jairus, would have basically despised Jesus and wanted him eliminated. All the people there, the Pharisees, um, <clears throat> the Sadducees, they, they didn't care for Jesus. And, and, and Jairus here, who we're reading about, the guy who came to Jesus to heal his daughter, would have basically despised Jesus. He probably tried every doctor, however, just like the woman. She tried every doctor the woman did for 12 years. This daughter of Jairus is 12 years old. And he too probably tried everything to heal his little daughter and realized every doctor and cure didn't work. So he probably came to Jesus as a last resort. Now here's the thing. He probably came in desperation because his daughter wasn't getting healed. This is probably one of the reasons God allows suffering. Because only when we realize and hit desperation do we end up turning to God. And God says, you know what? If, if you have to suffer a little bit in this world to come to me for eternal salvation... I don't want this, as postulant Jeff read in the first reading. God doesn't want it. In his ordained will, God doesn't want sickness and death, but in his permissive will, he allows it because many times a greater good will come from it, and that greater good sometimes is us turning to him in a time of need. And this is what Jairus just did. What a message. So he came to Jesus. He really didn't have a good motive. His motive was, you're my last resort. It was not out of love, but he had nowhere else to go. Now, why is this important? Well, okay, look at the response of Jesus. If it was one of, you, one of us, you or me, we probably would have said, you know what? When things were good, you wanted to kill me, right? 
Now you want my help? This is the human nature in us, our broken human nature. Jesus might as well could have refused this man who came to him like that, but Jesus didn't. He bore no grudge. Basically, here was a man who needed his help, and Jesus received him. This is how we are to do. This is forgiveness. Jesus had no traces. Oh, my pride was injured, or you hurt me. He didn't have an unforgiving spirit, and neither should we. This is going to happen to you if it isn't already in your life. The woman also came to Jesus with an impure motive. The first guy came because there was no other result or no other alternative but Jesus. And the second woman came for another impure motive. She came because she didn't have so much faith as superstition. She believed if I just touch this tassel, it's kind of superstition in a way, in a way. The woman came with this kind of impure motive like Jairus. She came with what seemed, as I said, more kind of like not a pure faith, but I, I, I don't know how to call it superstition, but just something else. And this is where we Catholics got to be careful, knowing that it's not a statue that saves us, even if the statue is oozing oil. It's God. This is important. Jairus came to Jesus in the wrong motive, and the woman came with an inadequate faith. Now... It doesn't matter, however. They both came. It doesn't matter how you come to Jesus. It matters that you come. You know, a lot of people I've met over the years have said to me, Father, I don't go to church because I'd be a hypocrite. I'm a liar. I'm a stealer. I'm a cheater. That's exactly why we need to go to church. We need to go to Jesus who is found in the church in the sacraments, just like Jairus and this woman. No matter how inadequately or imperfectly we are, his arms are wide open. This is the lesson. We do not have to wait to ask God to help us until our motives are pure and perfect and full of faith. Well, I'll go to church when I really feel it. Love is not a feeling. This is what society tries to tell us. If it feels good, do it. No, love is a commitment, an act of the will. I decide to love you. You've heard me say before, sometimes at the Mirren Helper Center, I haven't finished my prayers and I go into the chapel midnight uh, sometimes and I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm exhausted. I literally go in there and say, Jesus, I really don't feel like being here right now. But I'm here because I love you. That is what we have to do. We're not perfect. Like Jairus and this woman, we're broken. But like them, we're in desperate need of help. And Jesus answered because they went to him. You know, um, I left the Marians for a year when I was in formation. Um, I thought I was maybe called uh, to marry a girl I had um, planned on marrying in North Carolina. And I left the Marians for a year. And Father Dan Cambra, um, asked me why I was leaving. And I said, really, Father Dan, yes, I might be called to marriage, but the biggest reason is I'm not holy enough. And Father Dan says, that's exactly why God is calling you here. Because his greater glory is worked through the most broken of tools. 
if you were perfect and you had no brokenness, it wouldn't give that much glory to God. But because you're broken, because you need help, and because you are not perfect, God's glory will shine when he does use you. As Brother Jeff said, however, if you let him. So I think this is a powerful message. All right, let's finish it here. So basically, God is telling us, come to him exactly as you are. Now, okay, be careful here. Because a lot of people say to me, Father, God loves me exactly the way I am. The fact that I am engaged in a same sexual relationship, the fact that I don't go to mass, the fact that I don't believe in a man-made religion, even though this isn't man-made, Christ made this religion. He formed and organized the church. Father, despite all that, God loves me the way I am, so I'm not going to worry about it. Is that true? Is that true? I'm living away from the church. I'm not practicing the sacraments. I'm living in mortal sin. But God loves me just as I am. Is that true? Yes. But God loves you too much to let you stay that way. God loves you as you are. But he loves us too much to stay that way. It's kind of like your child when he doesn't fulfill what all you, you saw he had potential. It was like in wrestling. I started wrestling in third grade and I remember one of my coaches saying, listen, I don't care if you win a match. Just give everything you got. Just put your 100% effort forward. Don't worry about the wins and losses. Only leave everything on that mat. Don't hold back anything. So yes, God loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you stay that way. He challenges us. He challenges us to not live in a state of mortal sin. He challenges us to go back to church in the sacraments. And I don't mean challenge like I dare you. Challenge in that I'm pouring my love out to you. Please accept it. That's the message, all right? So sometimes, people say this all the time. We don't pray because I don't want to be hypocritical. I don't go to church because I don't want to be hypocritical. Those are the times we need to do that. So, you know, we have no right to criticize others because of their motives. We have to be careful here. Motives that we suspect somebody doesn't have faith or that they're living in mortal sin, we question them. This is causing a lot of division in the church. Yes, objectively, we must judge. People who always say, do not judge, don't get half of the story. We don't judge the person, but we must judge the action. This is true, but you don't judge the person why they did something. You know, I was one of the people for years that used to sit on the abortion stand at the corner of the abortion clinic and, 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 and really kind of forcefully judge those ladies who were walking in to have an abortion. I, I did. That was what I thought we did. I was brand new in my faith, coming back to my faith. I thought that's what we do. We go there and, and we stop the abortion at any cost. And then I met one woman my first year with the Marians. And she was there. She was scared to death. Her husband, no boyfriend, not her husband, her boyfriend threatened to kill her 
she was brought by her aunt. Her boyfriend wasn't there, but she was brought by her aunt to have the abortion. And I'm talking to her right before she goes in. And he threatened to kill her if she had this baby. She was scared to death. And all of a sudden I realized, holy cow, can I really judge this woman? She's fearful for her life that this man is going to kill her if she has this baby. This is where we have to pray. We don't judge her, condemn her. You're going to hell. I saw people, literally people, some Catholics, many not Catholics, yelling at the people that they're going to hell, going into that abortion clinic. That's not our judgment. That's God. But yes, we can say objectively the abortion is wrong. Objectively, this is terrible. We have to judge that. We judge the sin, not the sinner. We love the sin, sinner. We hate the sin. This is Augustine. And so what we have to do is come to Christ. The fact that we do. The fact isn't how we come. It's the fact that we come. He is willing to accept it. But we have to try and put our part into it. He wants to make us what we ought to be fully alive in him. You know, the men say that she is dead. When, when Jesus got there and Jairus is next to him, the guys come out of the house and they say she's dead. And Jesus says, no, she's sleeping. What is that? That's a euphemism for meaning dead, right? Well, this shows that death is only a kind of sleep and the person is waiting a resurrection, a new life. So Jesus says this about Lazarus too, right? He said he was sleeping, meaning that I'm going to awake him. This gives us hope, right? This is the whole basis of our faith, the resurrection. How beautiful a message in what appears to be a tangent. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you. Please follow or subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes and updates. If you have been blessed by this podcast, I invite you to leave a review. Reviews greatly improve our podcast ranking and will help spread this podcast to other people throughout the world. Are you enjoying this podcast? I invite you to listen to more shows brought to you by the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Join us daily for enriching spiritual content which will help you on your journey with Jesus Christ. Simply visit divinemercyplus.org for a complete list of our shows. That's divinemercyplus.org. Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily masses, prayers, and good works of Marian priests and brothers all over the world. Sign up is free and easy. Simply visit micprayers.org. That's micprayers.org. Thank you, and God bless you.